Welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Tuesday edition where we talk with you about the Bible and its relevance for today, every Tuesday at 2. My name is Justin Dobbs. And before I introduce our panel today, let me invite you to interact with us live. You can go to the live chat on YouTube. We'll be watching that throughout today's discussion. But you can also check us out at BibleQuest.tv. So if you have questions or comments, you want to hear us discuss some particular topics or passages in the future, uh, we'll be checking into that and see uh, what you have for us. But today, uh, we have with us Scott Smelser. Scott, how are you doing today? Doing well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, glad you're on with us. Uh, just another day, but man, wow. I think as I get older, the, the years get shorter and shorter, but that's what I've always been told. Uh, we also have with us Tim Bunting. Tim, how are you today? Uh, doing well. I appreciate you guys having me on today. Yeah, I'm really glad you're here. And uh, Tim, I think this is your first time with us, right? Yeah, it is. I've uh, listened in on some uh, recorded podcasts before, uh, but yeah, first time doing live and first time being on the show. So, great, great. Glad you're with us. Um, you are you're in New Jersey, is that right? Yeah. So we, uh, me, and my wife, we just moved to New Jersey, just across the Lincoln Tunnel or through the Lincoln Tunnel, uh, Union City area. Moved here, I think, in 2020, uh, and so we've continued to work with the congregation in. Um, West Harlem, Upper Manhattan, bilingual group there, uh, and uh, also kind of supporting the new work that started. My, my parents, uh, my dad, he also uh, moved Jersey side, same time we did. So he started to work here uh, a couple, about 10 minute walk from the house. And so um, I worship with them some as well. Fantastic. So, you, so you're working uh, with a Spanish speaking, English speaking group back in Harlem, and then with your dad in New Jersey. Fantastic. Yep. So you're going to be leading us through a discussion today. Uh, what do we have going on today? That's the idea. Um, kind of threw out some ideas, and we we considered the possibility of discussing some of the more supernatural, spiritual uh, aspects of Scripture, heaven, hell, spiritual beings, uh, angels, demons, Satan, some of these aspects of Scripture. Um, you know, and these topics are interesting because we, we know scripture warns us the danger of being speculative. Second uh, Timothy 2, 23, you know, don't go into these speculative conversations. Um, have we seen some speculation concerning these spiritual uh, aspects of scripture, heaven, hell, demons, angels? Have you guys been familiar with some speculations that go around? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, if you want to sell a good book, you just you write a, a title with something about heaven, hell, angels, and demons. It'll fly off the shelves. You know, so I think these topics uh, are intriguing, uh, engage our imagination. And so I mean, I, I've been done many YouTube videos, but my most popular one is a YouTube video about Satan. And so we need to be careful about speculating about these things. Uh, but also, I feel like sometimes we go too hard in the opposite direction and we ignore and we don't speak about these topics for fear of being you know, mystic or things of that nature. Um, what, are some, what are some dangers that we run into by ignoring these topics, angels, uh, Satan, heaven, hell? Well, in 1 Peter 5, it says, be sober, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, you know, like a roaring lion is going about seeking someone to devour. So if we ignore that, that's that's pretty stupid. If you're a gazelle and you decide to ignore the fact that there's roaring lions about, you know, you're going to be lion meat. Yeah. 
on, on the other side, I think if um, if we don't appreciate that God has servants who are working for our benefit, then uh, we may not take courage or be as bold as we should be. So that's that's the other side of that. You know, we were in this educated modern society, uh, you know, becoming less and less supernatural, uh, more empirically scientific and things. And even as Bible believers who believe in supernatural things, we can kind of evolve and become enlightened beyond silly things like Satan or or demons and so forth. And we and when we neglect these parts of Scripture, we deny the reality of their existence. We, we can't speculate beyond what Scripture says. But Scripture actually says a decent amount about these kinds of things. And as I was going through... Uh, you know, preparing for this webcast, I kind of realized, you know, there's really more than one episode uh, to uh, of worth of material to go through. And so just maybe one, two, three, uh, because there is that much that is said in Scripture. There is a, a great deal that we can know with certainty about these things, and that's as much as we should talk about it. You know, let's not talk about it 90%. Scripture talks about it 10%. But let's not talk about it 0% if Scripture talks about it whatever uh, percent it is. And so, uh, yeah, we, we, we really do want to uh, dive into and figure out what are the, the certain things we can know on these topics. Uh, I think the best place to start is just to discuss the, the idea, concept uh, of heaven. Um, and heaven is a word, I mean, you can use your concordance. It's all over scripture, used a lot. But it's used in a number of different ways, and we'd like to kind of go through these different uses of the word heaven. Um, what, what, what's kind of introduction? What would you, t if I was asking, hey, what's heaven? Biblically, what are some of the things you guys would tell me? I would probably start with when Paul referred to in Second Corinthians, the third heaven. Because mm -hmm. like early in Genesis, there's several references to heaven, and that's not what we're usually talking about when we say heaven. And so making distinction between like the birds of the heaven where they fly and God created the heavens and the earth and then the sense of reserved for us in heaven in Peter, that that, that third sense in distinguishing between those two. Because sometimes people get confused. Um, like I, I think at the Tower of Babel when they're trying to build it up to heaven, I don't think they're trying to reach the throne of God. I think they're building a skyscraper. They want it to stick up into the sky. That's where the birds fly. Exactly. So you got one word, and it's used uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, do we have any English words that maybe do we can compare to? Uh, what, are, what are some English words? It's one word, and yet it's it can signify or be used or mean all these different things. Country. Country, how so? <laughs> I live in the country. Oh, yeah. I live in a good country. Uh, country cooking. <laughs> you know, it's you know, New York City food is in this country, but it's not country cooking. You know, it, it means different things in different contexts. Amen. And so, so good Bible study technique is let the use of the word define the word. We can go back to the Greek and the Hebrew. That helps. Uh, but really, the definitions of these original Hebrew or Greek words come from how the word is used. And the word heaven is used uh, very differently, very different contexts. 
Um, I, I'm going to suggest four meanings, four uses of the word heaven, and then we'll kind of go through these. Uh, the first is uh, heaven refers to the literal heavens uh, or the, the natural physical realm, sky and space. That's, I think, the original meaning of the word heaven, that physical realm. But then it comes to take on a figurative sense of God's abode. You know, God dwells in heaven, and we'll see what that means. But also beyond that, it's not just reserved for God's dwelling, but all the spiritual beings and all spiritual activity takes place in the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm. And finally, as you mentioned before, Scott, there's the, the concept of the reward for the saints, our inheritance in heaven, uh, entering into the heavenly kingdom in that sense. And so those are dramatically different meanings with one word. And that's, yeah. Well, hold on there, Tim. I think you're probably saying some really good stuff. I think you broke up for a second. Oh, no. No, we lost. Try, try toggling your microphone, see if that helps. Can you hear me now? Yeah. There we go. Yep. Supposed to have a good signal here. My apologies. No problem. Um, what was the last thing you guys heard? You're talking about the four different uses of the word, um, and you mentioned the reward was the last last one. Yeah. So, so again, there's confusion not because the each aspect is confusing in itself, but using similar terms to describe very different things, we kind of find ourselves a bit confused. So, let's talk about heaven being the natural or the physical realm. Uh, what What are some passages? How, how do we know uh, of heaven referring to the physical realm? Yeah, Scott mentioned Genesis. So Genesis 1 and 2, uh, Genesis 11, where they're building the Tower of Babel. Um, just, I mean, it's just the sky. It's, it's a place where birds fly. I mean, the birds of the heavens is the original translation, right? And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he refers to the birds being taken care of, I think he refers to them there as the birds of the heaven. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, you know, I heard, yeah, I always heard God created the heavens and the earth. And so what did I, what did I think that man? Well, God created his home where he lives. And then God created our home where we live. Or, and, but no, God didn't create the realm in which he, he, he exists. He created the physical realm. And the physical realm we see being sky above space, uh, but also um then the, he also created the earth and where we live. And so all of it is part of the physical realm. And what, what's God's relation to the physical realm that he created? Personally, I think that's a fascinating concept. I mean, the ancient people uh, had had this framework to use when they thought about where God is. Uh, I, don't, I don't think uh, the Hebrews were ignorant about the world being round. Um, like you just kind of look around and see that, but uh, they did kind of picture the sky and the heavens as being above this disc. Uh, and so God was up there. And so their view was the sky is high and God is there in the sky and he's high. And it was a way for them to think of him in these exalted ways because to God, everything else is flat and beneath. Amen. No, I think so. I mean, what would the natural conclusion be? 
if, if here we are in this earthly realm and there's some creator invisible unseen above and beyond where is he gonna if you're gonna speak to him where are you gonna look yeah you look up to the heavens um i also think about how scripture speaks about um let me ask let me ask you this question so just looking at an old testament perspective what's the unique relationship that yahweh has with the heavens and the earth than all the other pagan gods had. Does that, that question make sense? Yeah, so some of the pagan gods were the result mm -hmm. uh, of the heavens and the earth. Uh, so like Ra um, comes out of the sea, uh, Marduk, uh, his mother Tiamat, who was the first god, she was formed with salt water and <laughs> sweet water mix. Uh, so, in in a lot of ancient god, mythical gods, there were departmental gods. This god is over this. This god is over that. So, like in Acts seventeen, when Paul's at Mars Hill, he said he saw the statue of the unknown god. He said, "I'm going to tell you about the god that made." And there's your phrase again: the heavens and the earth. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we see in Second Kings 21 where Manasseh is building altars to worship all the hosts of heaven. He's worshiping all the different entities in sky and space, the various stars and sun and the moon. But it's interesting, you know, you go back to Genesis 1, if God created the heavens and the earth, then implicitly we already see, see him as being presented as, as the only and unique God. If he, if he is a source... Of all existence and he can't be a god among or part of that existence but above and over yeah go ahead justin yeah in, in first kings 8 uh verse uh 27 this always kind of struck me as odd solomon is helping to dedicate the temple and they just spent years building it and he says yeah but it's not all that great <laughs> and he says there in verse 27 uh will god indeed dwell on the earth behold heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you how much less this house that i have built so uh like you said he, he created the heavens and the earth so he, he exists outside of the heavens and the earth is interacting within it so it's um we're worshiping a god who is beyond any created thing which all these other gods are like you know the god of the woods the god of the hills the god of the god god's above all of that yeah amen and so whenever we're reading the word heaven in scripture i think we should always first understand it with this original meaning of the word the literal heavens the sky in the sp in space um because that's how it's used but as well as you mentioned already and we'll talk about now it very quickly comes into the figurative sense of god's dwelling of god's abode the realm in which god acts and works and so does the word heaven only refer to or mean the physical realm well that's the original meaning of it but no it's not used just as a physical realm and so it refers to just as much this figurative uh, abode of where god exists and dwells so let's talk about that song let's talk about this this the second meaning god's abode again the, the natural question we would ask is well, where is god well he's not here it's not on earth you know you just look up above and beyond he must be out there somewhere some really cool passages in the old testament that speak about god abiding in dwelling in heaven isaiah 63 15 
look down from heaven and see your holy and glorious habitation. Or Deuteronomy 26, 15, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel. So heaven's described as God's habitat where he where he abides. But also like this one, Psalm 2, 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. And so if God is in the heavens, if he is above, everything is literally beneath him, less than him. Um, and so, so the use of the word heaven is this is where God is, where he's functioning and working. Question we, we, would, we would consider, though, is, so does that mean heaven is a location? Is it a geographic location? Is it somewhere you go to, that you come from? If it's not limited to the physical, if, if, if heaven where God dwells isn't the, the natural realm of sky and space, how then can we understand heaven, God's abode? Your thoughts on that? I think it's an interesting question. As as a kid, I remember thinking, you know, looking up at the stars, is like, well, which which cluster of stars is where <laughs> God kind of hangs out? And uh, and maybe that seems like a simple thing, but um, we are so limited in our three dimensional way of thinking that to think of a place where God dwells, like where where is that place? But then, like, where's the place that my spirit dwells you know like where on my body do i point to like that's where it is i think maybe it's that same way of thinking is uh it's beyond our concept of a physical location Lean in. and then there's also of course the omniscience uh, no omnipresence of god in psalm 139 if i ascend to the heavens you're there if i make my bed in sheol you're there if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle by the farthest sea, even there your hand will guide me. Um, so it's kind of like Jonah was pretty short-sighted when he decides, you know, he wants to get away from God. And so he gets on a boat headed to Spain. You know, <laughs> that's that's not going to do it. Exactly. Um, and so it's a strange combination, as you guys are saying, of you know, this is where God is, and yet it can't be a normal geographic place limited to the laws of nature. But what's what's also kind of cool, though, is God presents his His dwelling, his home, as if it's a physical location. Because yeah. think about this, where where does, when Jesus comes to the earth, where does he come from? You know, he comes down from heaven, he says, to do his Father's will. When Jesus leaves this earth, what does he do? He's back to the heavens uh when uh jesus is baptized he hears a voice where from heaven with a dove descending right yeah so even though this dwelling where god is i don't think we should understand it in the same way we understand a geographic location you go to and you come from it's interesting that when god presents this realm and himself uh using physical terms and, and literal uh, actual illustrations that we can relate to. Um, and so we, I think we can kind of understand it as both in that sense. So I have a little paragraph here. So the word uh, used to describe the physical location of sky and space is used to metaphorically refer to the location of God's dwelling. But his dwelling is not a location in the physical realm, but rather spoken of as a location we go to and we come from. 
so it's, we kind of understand it as this place, even though we know it's it's beyond the physical realm, it's beyond a geographic location. But we have a lot of imagery, and we've discussed some of it. Let's talk about some of the imagery, though, we see with heaven and God speaking from heaven and above and so forth. What are the lessons that we can learn from the all the imagery used to describe heaven and God's dwelling place? One thought, Scott, you mentioned um, Jonah's short-sightedness. He's he's omnipresent, God is. Um, he's also omniscient. And so if if I'm down in a hole somewhere, all I can see is what's directly above me. Uh, but if I'm up on a mountaintop somewhere, I can see for miles all around, there's kind of an understanding of the landscape that I have. Uh, and so in the same way, if God is is high up, then he can see everything. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, it it presents God from this um, lofty knowledge kind of perspective, where where nothing escapes his uh, his eyesight. Yeah, and in a position of authority, um, we wouldn't look down mm -hmm. below us. God is clear authority wise; he's above us. But to emphasize your point about not getting too geographical about it. I'm going to use a cookie here. <laughs> oh, here's a cookie. If Jesus is getting baptized and there's a voice from heaven above him, you know, above Jerusalem, above the Jordan River is different trajectory than, say, above Connecticut. <laughs> and And we would also need to know what time of day <laughs> it was that it was above if we wanted to try to say, you know, get a straight trajectory. Uh, so people on the other side of the world are going to look up to God. People on this side of the world are going to look up to God. God's above us, beyond us. And so these literal things reveal to us actual spiritual realities. It's not that God is geographically there, but it demonstrates things that are spiritually true. He is above. He has the authority. He is beyond us. I, I love this idea. You know, have we reached the end of space yet? <laughs> I mean, space goes on for what? For for eternity. And I don't know if it actually goes on for eternity, if God made it to be eternal in that sense or not. But for all intents and purposes, for us, space is is eternal. And, and what is God? He's he is absolutely eternal. Uh, he's unattainable. You know, can you reach the end? of space and physically enter into the heavens. Well, what can we do to justify ourselves and and deserve to enter back into God's presence? Um, so to me, it's, just, it's really cool that God, you know, uses these earthly things with strict literal definitions to represent things that are just as true. It doesn't need to be geographically true for it to be any less, uh, for it to, be, to be just as true. And so that's pretty cool to think about. So we kind of discussed uh, heaven being the literal heavens, this metaphorical dwelling for God. But as I mentioned before, it's not spoken of just as God's house, where God himself personally is, but really a it's more of a spiritual realm in which all spiritual beings exist and act. And when we start discussing spiritual beings, I, I think of two categories spiritual beings in the spiritual realm that are in God's presence and those in the spiritual realm that are outside of 
God's presence. But I think I think Ephesians helps us by not just speaking of heaven or the heavens, but using a unique term, if I'm not mistaken, I think it only exists in Ephesians. Um, it speaks of the heavenly places, as the New American Standard translates it. I think literally it would be the heavenlies. I think it's like an adjective and without a, a noun. So it's kind of open-ended. Um, but in Ephesians, uh, the, if you look up all the uses of heavenly places, uh, it speaks about us being blessed with every blessing in this heavenly realm. Uh, Christ is ruling in the heavenly realm. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. God makes his wisdom known to all beings in the heavenly realm. And finally, our struggle against evil is our struggle against <laughs> evil entities in the heavenly realms. So how, how can we think of what are some scriptures that might describe for us to help us understand the concept of this heavenly realm, not just God's abode, but this whole sphere in which uh, spiritual beings are acting and working. And let's, for our, for our listeners, let's call out some of those texts. So Ephesians 121 or 120, God put Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places, in italics in mind. So in the heavenlies, far above all rule, authority, etc. And then the, Tim referred to this passage in chapter 2, verse 6. After he made us alive in Christ and raised us, verse 6, up with him and made us to sit with him in the heavenlies. Thank you. One one place, you talk about where some places we can go to kind of see this uh, distinction. Uh, I think of Job 1, uh, mm. where the sons of God on a day came to present themselves before before God, before the Lord Yahweh, uh, and Satan also came among them. Um, there may be some discussion about what that sons of God means, but uh, it seems to indicate here some spiritual beings, and they come to talk to God, and Satan's right there. And the question is, where have you come from? And he says, well, I come from going to and fro on the earth. Uh, sounds to me like he's not on the earth anymore but he was and now he's entered into god's presence in this it doesn't call it the heavenlies but it certainly seems like there's this courtroom scene mm -hmm. and there are these spiritual beings here and satan comes in and god has this conversation with him very good yeah uh it makes you wonder <laughs> what that would have been like um and again this combination was it is it really that geographic where they really what does it even mean to be in God's presence and things? But but we, we see a sphere in which these non-human entities are speaking, interacting. Um, other passages that might help us understand the the nature of this heavenly realm or speak about the heavenly realm. Tying into what Justin just said, in Revelation 12, after the birth of Christ and his victorious ascension, it says in Revelation 12, 7, there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels going forth to war against the dragon, who's identified two verses later as the devil, and they prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And then it says, he, verse 9, he was cast down, and he was cast down to the earth. It's not that he has not had influence on the earth before, he has, but he has lost He's lost leverage. Mm -hmm. uh, he wanted us dead. He wanted us spiritually dead, physically dead. 
And in three days, Jesus conquered spiritual death and physical death. Yeah. Okay. So we, we looked at a couple of examples where the heavenly realm and, and the earth seemed separate and seemed distinct. But is it is it only presented as something that's distinct or sometimes might there be some overlapping of these of the earthly physical realm and the heavenly realm? Yeah. Well, yeah, like you said, in Ephesians, we are raised up. And that's it also speaks of the riches that are going to be shown to us in the future. But it's in the present tense where it says we're raised up to sit with him in the heavens. Exactly. So there's this dual existence that we have. Um, we know we're physical beings. Are we also spiritual beings? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, God breathed life into us. And so without the breath of God, the physical body is nothing. And so there's the tangible. But we also exist as the intangible. You know, Thessalonians uh, speaks of our body, soul, and spirit, and we're the combination of all three together. So there are spiritual beings, and then there are physical beings. And I think we're physical beings that are also spiritual beings. I'm, I think I'm speaking within Scripture by saying that. Um, but First Corinthians 15 helps us see that there are different realms in which these different kinds of beings exist. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's speaking about the resurrection uh, and explaining how that's going to be, how that's going to work, how we know it's true. And in verses 39 to 41, he, he presents a metaphor uh, where different kinds of bodies have different kinds of realms in which they exist. What's the realm of the bird? The heavens. Yeah, the heavens, sky, and the realm of the fish would be the sea and so we have our realm in which we exist but then he also says there are heavenly bodies that have heavenly realms and he speaks literally the sun the moon those are heavenly bodies and they exist in the heavenly realm and the literal natural heavenly realm sky and space but the point that he's making is if we as physical beings can exist in this physical world as a physical being for us to then enter into the spiritual realm and enter into the heavenly kingdom, what's going to have to happen to us? Be given a, a body that can dwell in that heavenly realm. Yeah, we're going to need to have our physical bodies transformed into spiritual bodies to dwell in that spiritual realm. Uh, we, we can look at 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. Um, I don't know if one of you would like to read that for us. Yeah, I can do that. Let's turn right there. Uh, 42 through 44. Uh, so is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And then following that 49, it says, just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall bear the image of the heavenly. So our physical bodies are going to be transformed into spiritual bodies. We will still possess bodies. And uh, read for us verse 50 of the same chapter. Yeah, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So we are going to be transformed into spiritual bodies to inhabit this spiritual realm, whatever that realm might be like. And we talk about going to heaven, 
I'm going to go to heaven, hopefully one day. And uh, I don't think that's inaccurate. If I had to change the word, I wonder if I would use the word translate. You know, I will be translated into heaven. You know, I'm the same person, but changed into a way in which I can dwell in and inhabit that spiritual realm, whatever that might be like. Go ahead, Scott. In fact, the very phrase go to heaven, it appears a lot in our songs yeah. and in our speech. But, you know, it's, it's not the regular way that the Bible speaks of going to heaven. Um, it does say in First Thessalonians, you know, and we will be caught up together with him uh, and in Peter reserved there. But a lot of the New Testament language is about inheriting eternal life. Mm -hmm. exactly. And in First Corinthians 15, as you said, we've got this distinction. And it, this goes back to where you said at the beginning to pay attention to what the Bible does say, but not get over speculative. Because he says some of the Corinthians are going to say, well, what kind of body is it going to be? Mm -hmm. He says, you fool. And he said, there's different kinds. He talks about a seed. You plant it. And what you plant is not what's, it's going to look different when it comes up. So what do we know from that text? It's not this physical body, but it's this, we're resurrected into a spiritual body. I don't know exactly what a spiritual body is, mm -hmm. but it does say it's a body and it does say it's spiritual and mm -hmm. it tells us what it's not. Yep. It's not flesh and blood and it's not corruptible and it's not a, a thing of weakness. Beyond that, I don't know. Yeah. You, you don't want to explain more? I mean, <laughs> But it's important. Well, I, I, I think I like, people are just going to be disembodied spirits. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, no, we, we're not wanting to be found naked, but to have this habitation put on us, this spiritual body, whatever it is, it's something we want. Yeah. No, and, and again, we, we, we grow and become enlightened beyond these simple and crude ideas. And Sometimes we over-spiritualize everything until it doesn't have any meaning anymore. And I used to wonder at a certain point, like, maybe, when, yeah, when I go to heaven, I'm just going to be some, like, ball of existence that enters into this nebulous, you know, entity, and that's God and, and all these things. But then you realize, well, Scripture, it speaks finitely about certain things, you know, and we can't erase that from Scripture. We need to think of God existing somewhere and being with him and the and then the reality of potentially not being with him, those are realities. Uh, we don't know the full form and nature of it, but it's it's a reality that's simple to understand in concept. I, I like John's explanation. He says, we don't know what we'll be like, but we'll be like him. Right. In some sense, that's telling me nothing because I don't know what he's like. I don't know what his form and his existence and his nature is like, really. I don't really get it. But if I know that that's what I'm going to be like, that's the only thing I need to know because that should be good enough for me. <laughs> and and what that would have meant for John, who in the beginning of that book, First John chapter one, we, we ate with him, we we talked with him, we touched him. So there's a familiarity and a comfort there. Like I get to be with my friend, and I get to go and be like him. The person I admire most, I get to be transformed to be made just like him. Uh, and so it's the same for us. I don't know what it's going to be, but I know I'll be with Jesus. 
And uh, it's funny, we, we, we speculate, we wonder, and we say, wow, you know, this transformation has changed, but it took me too long to realize we're very familiar with the opposite. What did Jesus do? He put on flesh. So he already did the transformation in our direction. And so we're going to do the transformation in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, so we need to, uh, to, to accept that the Bible speaks about the reality of this heavenly realm beyond just where God lives. And really, it's this sphere in which spiritual beings exist and work and act. We'll talk about Satan, angels, demons, and so forth. Uh, but we also both duly exist and act in the physical and in the spiritual realm. Uh, go ahead, Justin. Well, I, I don't want to mess up your groove here. Um, but you just you you caught me with that thought that that Jesus has already done the transformation in our direction. Uh, and it made me think of the transfiguration. I think the word that that literally means translation, right? And you you used that word before, thinking of first Corinthians fifteen. Um, Moses and Elijah show up there, and they're just walking around, and I don't know what their existence was exactly, but there's some kind of intersection, could we say, between the heavenly realm and the physical realm, and maybe there's more intersection than we often give uh, give give credit to in our minds, but um, you know the curtains pulled back a little bit on that realm, and there's there's Moses and there's Elijah, and they are individual beings. They're not part of this sphere of existence, like you were thinking. Like this, who are recognizable, right? Yeah, there's, there's an, they are. Yeah, there's an individuality there, uh, which makes us capable of loving other people because we have a different, distinct identity. So maybe there's some insight there into okay, the heavenlies are real. Uh, they're they're not intangible. They're tangible but with senses we don't normally experience. I don't know if that makes sense. Two things. One, I'm enjoying this discussion. Tim, would you be available to continue this next week? Yep. Super, super. Because we're coming up on, we got about seven minutes left here, and there's still a lot of good stuff we want to hear. So uh, let's plan on doing that and Tim continuing to lead this. But that the, the, the phrase that you use are different senses. And I'd like to share something here. So years ago, I was talking with a fellow I was studying with, and he had been blind from birth. So he had never seen. And we were discussing some of this. And if somebody takes, for instance, the descriptions of heaven in the book of Revelation very literally, I don't want to get in a big argument with them. Uh, if someone wants to think there's going to be a, you know, big pearl that's a gate and the streets are going to be made of gold. Um, I see those as images of glory to convey to us how glorious it would be. But if, if Bill Gates spent all of his money or, or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk to pave a street of gold as long as they could, that wouldn't make it heaven. <laughs> because it would still be here on earth and there would be sin there. The really glorious thing about heaven is that God is there. In the presence of God, you've got all this language. Um, in fact, even in the descriptions of hell, it's usually referred to like a lake of fire 
but on at least one occasion, it's referred to as outer darkness, neither of which are pleasant. Mm. Here's what I was proposing. I said, um, if you're, so try this. Imagine that you are trying to describe color to a blind person. Somebody that's never, ever seen. How yeah, it's impossible. Blue or gray or yellow to somebody who has never, ever seen color. Think about it for a second. What would you say? I mean, if I were trying to describe blue, I might say it, it feels like a sunny day. But even there, it's like it, you, you're, you're trying to get at something that they just don't have the capacity for. Right. I mean, yeah, I think of blue being a cooling, you know, a lot of things that are cooling, we think. Yeah, blue, yeah, yeah. How about gray? Gray. I mean, fog. <laughs> because they haven't seen fog either. No, they haven't seen fog. <laughs> gray, yeah. Um, Black. I would think of oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, orange is easy, right? Because it like, it's it. It seems like what it tastes like, what it smells like, but that's cheating. Um, okay, so what you're doing, you're repeatedly going to our other senses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Somebody that doesn't have this sense, you're going to it, or you might say colors are like flavors. You know, you might you, you could do it with taste, you could do it with feeling. You're you're relating it to senses that we've got. And as I was speaking to this this fellow who'd been blind since birth, I said, is color real? And he said, yeah, but not a whole lot of conviction. It's mm. not that he doubted it mm. because he'd never experienced it. He knew it existed, but you could there, there was a big difference than when I said, is sound real? Is music real? Oh, yeah. You know, there was because he'd felt that he might have had more conviction about that than we do. <laughs> and, and and so when it's described, when God is describing something beyond our realm of existence, it's not surprising if he puts it in terms that we can relate to in our realm of existence. Uh, and so and one last comment, I would say. When it gets to deciding exactly what it's going to be like, so those images I think show it's glorious, and the images of hell show that it's horrible. Uh, but if we get to saying, I know just what it's going to be like, we might take a warning from the Old Testament. The rabbis that looked at the Old Testament and decided what to expect into a messianic kingdom, how accurately did they get it? And so, again, it calls for some humility, coming back to the first thing that Tim said, not to get too speculative, to accept what the text says, to catch the point of the text. But then we start getting in trouble if we start deciding that we know exactly what it's going to be beyond that. Well, Sam. well Tim, uh, do you have... Could you, in one minute or less, uh, kind of hit this fourth point? Because I'm, I'm wondering what you'd want to say about the, the reward of heaven. So, um, yeah. So we need to understand that the heavenly realm exists around us. We duly exist in both simultaneously. 
Um, and we need to believe in the reality of that and that has great implications in, in how we act and live. And we'll discuss more of that in the future, uh, future lessons. Uh, but the last concept of heaven is maybe the heaven that we're most familiar with conceptually, and that is this reward. It is existing with God in a way that we don't get to do so right now. We're, we're limited as physical beings to the physical realm. And the spiritual God who exists in the spiritual realm, he exists above and beyond and around. Uh, but when we're translated, uh, we get to exist in that realm more fully, more like him. Uh, we, we receive our inheritance. Uh, God is our inheritance and we are his inheritance. And so uh, a lot of times when uh, heaven is spoken of, it's this specific part of heaven, which is the heaven we're all longing for and hoping for, uh, really this reward of heaven. Yeah. I, you asked the beginning, what's the benefit uh, of, of talking about these sorts of things? And I'll tell you one that I'm experiencing right now is just excitement. You know, um, we, we often get distracted with the things that we see around us and we forget that there's just so much more to God's plans for us beyond just the here and now and what we see. So, Tim, thank you for joining us today for this discussion. Uh, you've kind of invited you kind of invited yourself back on for uh, at least two more discussions, maybe more. So I'm glad you did. This is a, an exciting topic. Look forward to it. Uh, Scott, any closing remarks for us? Thanks. All right. Well, that does conclude our discussion for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you found the study helpful, uh, please share with others. And if you have thoughts or questions, uh, concerns, comments. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we want to be true to what we read in the scriptures. And so uh, if you have something you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you at BibleQuest.tv. Thanks for joining in. God be with you. And if he's willing, we'll see you next week. God bless. Oh, Tim, thanks. <laughs>